This week is Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Week if you're in Australia. Or if you're in North America, it's Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Month. And this year we're saying hashtag I'm more than my disability. Hi, my name is Emily. I am a wife. Uh, I'm a mother. Uh, I am a PhD candidate. And I also work for SCIA uh, as a social worker and running their resilience programs. We talk about the language of disability, the subconscious bias. What happens if you don't want to be an athlete? Well, nothing. You just live a regular life. But why does it seem so hard for the broader community to grasp? We cover so many things. Awareness days, disability-only events, being congratulated for living and existing, the difficulty of finding friends, the difficulty of finding work. So many things when people don't look beyond and consider the person first. Who are you and what do you do? I mean, we've already talked about it in the introduction, but do you want to elaborate on it a little bit more? I think I have multiple roles in my life, as many of us do, um, each taking the spotlight at different times. Um, So, as I said, sometimes I'm wearing the mum hat, sometimes I'm wearing the wife hat, and then often or not during working hours, I'm working on my PhD or, as I said, working for SCIA, um, running their resilience programs and trying to refine and develop those. What's your PhD on? So my PhD is looking at how we can best support young people with spinal cord injuries as they make the move from pediatric to adult healthcare services. Um, I was working at Royal Rehab at the time that I saw that advertisement and uh, doing social work there. And it was a topic that just really interested me. I'm very passionate about uh, promoting physical health uh, for people with disabilities because I think think that that is a stepping stone or foundation to living well with a spinal cord injury. I think essentially if we are healthy, um, we are more likely to be able to participate in employment, access in the community. So um, supporting young people move between the two services was really important because often they get they get lost in the gap. Um, maybe the handovers uh, don't happen. Maybe they don't feel like they are supported enough in that transition. Uh, there are many different factors influencing how they uh, successfully transition. Um, but I think if young people are going to live a long time, we want them to live a, a well during that time. Um, so how can we support them to, to make that move so that they can get continuous healthcare? You have mentioned that you wear a lot of hats, particularly four that you have spoken about, but why do you think it's important that we start describing people as the people they are rather than saying you're a disabled mum or you're a disabled wife or something like that? I think historically disability still has a a certain level of stigma attached to it. Um, And by highlighting that about an individual prior to actually maybe what they're doing, who they are as a person, places a lens through which you are then seeing the person. Um, So, for example, you know, I am Emily. I am a disabled mum. Already you've probably made an assumption about me in my parenting ability or my parenting skills. But actually I'm not – yes, I am disabled. I can never take that away from who I am. It's – quite obvious and it affects all areas of my life. Under all of that, I am just a mom. 
I am just trying to keep this little person alive. I'm going through all the same challenges as every other mum out there, you know, tantrums and mealtimes, whatever it may be. Um, and I think that you disservice people with disabilities by putting uh, this lens across them before perhaps we've had a chance to get to know them on a deeper level. Yeah, it's very interesting that you say lens and I was going to ask about the subconscious bias that people have when they associate somebody with something. And I guess that also extends to the fact that if it's somebody who doesn't know anything about disability or your disability or my disability or whatever, and there's an instant where you're described as I'm a disabled mother or something like that, there's no room for them to be educated about the disability anyway. So why bother even describing them that way? Being, I think being disabled is also like a terrible descriptive for someone. Like it does not encompass the, it's such a broad term. What does being disabled mean? It can be disabled in so many different ways and it doesn't impact on that person's life and what they do. But as you said, having this, lens that people see you through because that term has been used impacts how they see you and they make it maybe they make assumptions and it perhaps then creates barriers to you accessing services or being included in the group can you just explain a bit further as to what you mean by barriers um because it's not necessarily physical although they are a very obvious barrier it could be not being invited to something. It could be actively excluding somebody based on the bias rather than finding a way to include them somehow. You know, what What other physical or non-physical um, barriers could there be? Not just for the wider society, I guess, but also for the person with the disability themselves. I think as an example, using, I guess, if we stick on the, the mother, the mum route, as we've been talking about, one of the barriers I think I often face is that people perhaps don't know how to interact with me as just another mum. Like they see me as a person maybe with a disability first. And uh, often when you're in those picking up times, dropping off, having conversations with other mums, I think is sometimes a little bit difficult. Uh, I find uh, it's harder to break the into the inner circle we talk about the inner circle as being like able-bodied mums as a, as a mum with a disability I often find it's hard to like break through the barrier of perhaps the assumptions they've already made of me as a parent and how has that extended has that extended to your professional career or anything like that I think that my disability and maybe because it's so physically apparent impact all areas of inclusion within my life. As I mentioned previously, being a mum and, and entering into that inner circle and maybe experiencing barriers there, but also in actually meeting people and, and making friends. Uh, and then I think that goes uh, to employment as well. And I think oftentimes it's just because people don't know how they can help if they, if they need to help, how to interact with you on a, a human level 
without seeing the disability first. Um, and I think that's why this awareness campaign is so important in educating the wider community that we don't want to be seen by our disability first. We want to be seen by the merit and by the other roles that we take in life. I think we had this this conversation off, off the recording, but you don't say, oh, that's the vegan mum. And or you don't say, oh, that's the non-vaxxed mum over there. We should all just be mums. The particular label of putting uh, somebody with a disability, I mean, let's just be honest though, you can refer to yourself as being disabled out of your choice, but when the wider society is referring to you as disabled somebody uh, and they are putting that onus on you, it's very different. Yeah, I totally agree. There's something very empowering about accepting the label of disability. I can at times, I think it's it's always a challenge internally, but acknowledging and recognizing myself as a woman with a disability, I do find empowering because of all the history that has gone into getting me here today in terms of the rights of people with disability. I think it's really important sometimes to recognize those men and women who have fought for our right. But at the same time, it's not all that I am and it's not who I am. There are many different things that come before that. When I was pregnant, I think someone once asked my mom, well, why, you know, she has a disability. Like, why is she going to bring a, a child? Can she take care of the child? What does she want out of life in doing this? And I think my mom responded, and it sticks with me, is, you know, Emily, I am just a 30-year-old woman that has the same hopes and dreams as any other 30-year-old woman out there. And for me, that is having a family, having a career, being passionate about that career and developing myself as a person. Yes, I do have a disability, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I still want the same thing that every other woman in my age bracket wants probably or depending on the person and uh, this is a this kind of goes into a bit of a conversation i was having a couple of episodes ago on have the nerve with uh the western australian senator he kind of made the comment that when somebody talks about disability they categorize you into a lot of life milestone goals right some of it is literally physical we're all going to be paralympians in one way or another when you're not saying something like you emily doing a phd you're a social worker, you're a wife, you're a mother. And when you're not using those terms frequently, when you put disabled somebody, they go, well, it wouldn't surprise me if the first thing they thought of was, well, you know, surely they should be getting into a physical sport or surely I'm expecting this person to do such and such. And so I guess by changing the narrative and using it first, and obviously this is what this whole episode is about, you're giving people with disability an opportunity to be able to not be that stereotypical mold. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's sometimes can be quite an intense pressure on people with disabilities to what you say, like, I think people say like overcome the disability, thrive despite the disability. And you, you want to say, well, can't I just thrive in life? Can we just say, Emily is thriving in life rather than Emily is thriving in life despite her disability. Again, we talk about this lens, puts the lens back on the fact that I've maybe achieved something. So I think that people with disabilities can feel 
pressure, as you say, to go to the Paralympics or whatever it may be. People want to see that we are inspirational. And I think a lot of people with disabilities don't necessarily want to be inspirational. Or if they do, it's probably for the next generation of people with disabilities to be like, hey, you could be whatever you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think bringing awareness to people with disabilities in all their multifaceted roles will provide one young person with a role model, whether that person with a disability is just, you know, is going into the city and working in finance or chooses to be a stay-at-home parent or wants to be a Paralympian, whatever it is they choose to do, that's normal, valid, like there should be no pressure. Yeah, and I guess in a way that kind of like comes into the social model of disability versus the medical model of disability, because I don't think we've really discussed enough, maybe not us recently, about what the social model of disability is versus the medical model. So medical model of disability is exactly what it is, you have a disability because of the physical, I don't know what you want to say, impairments, um, limitations, whatever. Therefore, you have a disability. Whereas the social model of disability is more about the wider society has not come to the party for you. So if you want to get to such and such building and let's just say somebody's throwing a party and you can't even get in there, that's disabling you as a person from being able to hit that event and go somewhere. If you're unable to work because your employer does not want to, I guess, be more accommodating to the needs and the needs of somebody with a disability, whether it's a flexible working um, situation or, you know, you might not be able to work full time in the hours allocated, that's disabling you as being a member of society. It's all about disabling people as members of society. And I guess in a way, by continuing on that path with calling a disability first, you're kind of moving into you're disabling that person. Does that make sense? By by labeling them first. I agree. I, and I think that placing disability before person's name or, or before what they do maybe reduces our expectations of that person and therefore using it first as a first descriptor for someone puts up a barrier because you've already made an assumption about what they can do. Um, it has nothing to do with the person's actual functional ability or uh, ability to work. Uh, that should be decided by the person depending on their knowledge of their body and what they want to do. You know, if we're going to keep describing, actually, let me let me ask you another question. Emily, what do you reckon about disability only events? For example, if somebody's putting on an art, like this is something that I've thought about a lot. For example, I do a lot of art and there are times where I have been a slash participated in events that are solely people with disabilities. And I just don't feel like that's the proper collaboration we should be doing. You're pretty much keeping in theme with boxing people in these sorts of situations. So when you're doing an event, let's just say it is, for example, International Day of People with Disabilities, or if it's like a, mm. another recognized week, and then you just feel like they just do these things um purely for the sake of that recognition day or the recognition week or if they are going to do it it's purely people with disabilities and the event is about disability you can't really collaborate with people do you have any thoughts on that yeah i think that okay occasionally when you're like you say when you're putting on an event for 
artists with a disability, you're only going to reach artists with a disability. And if it's an awareness event, that doesn't actually impact on the wider society and seeing the work that you can do. And people are really only going to probably come to the event if they themselves has a, have a disability or are aware and involved with the disability community. It doesn't showcase the work maybe to the wider society. And like you say, just making sure that we provide opportunities for people with disability to attend, take part in all events, I think the first step. I don't think that means we have to get rid of all disability related events because I still think there's a place, there's an element of peer support that happens during these times and an opportunity for people to develop skills. I think they're, they're still very valid, but I think it's more about ensuring that inclusion happens everywhere all the time. Completely. I completely agree. <laughs> Just from the, the few times that I've actually done events, the art events that have been not disability focused or anything, but have been everybody and even getting to the venue was a bit of a issue. I guess it's because they might not have expected somebody or an artist with a disability to want to join the event. Don't know why. That's like, that's the barrier there to be. Yeah. Like why would, why are people just automatically thinking, well, we're only going to have able bodies at this event. We'll only cater for them and not thinking wider and, and being like, there might be someone out there that would want to participate. So maybe we should just accommodate for everyone. And if no one attends and fine, no one attends. It, it's no skin off their nose if it's an accessible venue, but it would be really empowering for that person to know that that venue was accessible and they could participate if they wanted to. Yeah, and if they submitted the work as an artist, not an artist or a disabled artist or artist with a disability, and then they were included. And I know I'm just focusing heavily on art right now because that's my world. But um, if you wanted to join that event, it's well within your right to one, describe yourself as artist. And then secondly, to be able to, if you are accepted into that exhibition for whatever purpose, to be able to have proper support. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I could probably say the same thing about the research that I do. Like I want my research to be recognized on the merit of the research, that it is good research rather than the fact that someone in a, with a disability has conducted the research. Obviously, because my work is in spinal cord injury, having a spinal cord injury does help. I, I acknowledge that. But at the end of the day, I still want to do good research. And so I don't want to be invited because I researcher with a disability want to be invited because I'm a good researcher. Yeah, you were saying that your PhD is for is in like about spinal cord injury. You have a spinal cord injury, but somebody with a spinal cord injury can have a PhD in anything, anything. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have to be about disability. <laughs> no, no, and and I think that goes with like work as well. I think sometimes people with disabilities feel like they have to work in the disability space because it's safe it's a safe space but it would be nice for people to think that they could work anywhere because it's a safe space and they have the opportunity and they're accepted in those environments so that people with disabilities don't feel like they just have to stay in you know stay in their circles I love it when I see people with disability doing normal things. <laughs> I don't know if that sounds weird, but <laughs> I, uh, I just think, yeah, we're all out here living normal lives. You know, sometimes disability is 
not the thing we're thinking about on an hourly basis. Yeah, and sometimes you don't even want to include it in your resume. Like, you shouldn't have to. And when probably not at that point yet, but there have been times where, and I'm sure you were just talking about your issues looking for work, there have been times where I have been accepted to an interview for a job application and then I had to call them and ask them the accessibility and literally within the hour, I got a phone call back saying, we're going to have to reschedule your interview. And then they never got back. Mm. No, well, they don't know it's the just- level of dis- Not that it matters, but they didn't know anything about the disability. I just said, I'm in a wheelchair. But yeah, that was that was just too terrifying for them. And then they had to reschedule, quote unquote. <laughs> I think that many people with disabilities probably have had similar experiences. And I think that we all go through this point when applying for a job where you think, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? Do I do be upfront? Um, I don't want to go in there and then shock them and then they don't know how to interact with me. Um, but also I don't want them to bring me in because I have a disability. Like, I want to be competitive, you know, a career level on an academic level, whatever it may be. It's this real balance of I need them to know that I need to be able to access the building, but I also don't want this to impact my opportunity. And I think that that is a very difficult thing. And it's a very sad thing that we have to consider this. Not only are we going through the process of finding a job, which is stressful in itself, putting yourself out there, putting your skills out there, but you have to put yourself out there as a person as well and be judged as a person. So you're getting judged in two areas of your life. Very difficult, isn't it? And the rejection that comes from from your example is a, a rejection of you as a person and that never feels nice and that's just something that people with disabilities face every day in different areas. I literally just thought about and I don't know if this has happened to you or just on the topic of subconscious bias right I mean when you're continually not I guess exposing for a lack of a better term people to the disability itself or people with a disability doing something regular or you know god forbid they should talk about something that is nothing to do with disability at all you also run the risk i guess of people uh literally congratulating you there have been times in my life where i have been (laughs) stuffed in the street and then applauded for going down the street or um I have been congratulated for doing my own shopping or I've been, uh, I, I remember once putting my wheelchair in the car and a woman wound down her window to applaud me. <laughs> and it's just bizarre. I guess the conscious like bias goes from you can't do everything. So this thing, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, I'm going down the road or, you know, waiting for a bus and, you know, someone always, not always, but people will just say, so lovely to see you out. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I am, um, yes, okay, thank you. People with disabilities don't just stay home all the time. Like we, we go out, we have jobs, we go to school, we go out with friends. There's, you know, people with disabilities don't just survive in the comfort of their homes. Is there any anything else you would like to talk about while we're here, talking about the importance of making sure people see people as the people they are? I think that we've covered a lot today in a short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> and this 
I think something that like we're both obviously quite passionate about. Um, and I'm sure we could continue this conversation for, for a while. I think that the language is so important in many different ways. It holds weight even when you think it doesn't. Um, and therefore using language disabled disability uh, may be thrown around by people as a descriptive word for someone because it's an obvious word to use to describe, you know, if you look at myself, it's very obvious I'm in a power chair. Uh, it's, it's the weight and the impact of that word is probably more than they think when they use it. Um, and I think that just educating people around that language is important. You've been listening to Have the Nerve, a podcast about so much more than just disability. This is Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Week. And if you'd like to know more about Spinal Cord Injuries Australia, please visit scia.org.au. As per usual, please don't forget to give this podcast a five-star rating if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And tell your closest friends about Have the Nerve, as well as your absolute mortal enemies. Because who am I to leave out such a large demographic of potential listeners?